Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, December 16th. We begin with a look at Canada's healthcare system. Has the COVID-19 pandemic been a lesson in what we truly need for healthcare in our nation? And should we use this as a chance to revamp the entire system? We get the thoughts of a healthcare researcher from the School of Public Policy at Queen's University. Next, we look at the state of Calgary businesses as we continue to make our way through the pandemic. We catch up with Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber, for her thoughts on what it will take for local businesses to recover and what role the federal government can and should play when it comes to initiatives for small and medium-sized businesses. Yesterday, the Liberal government announced a travel advisory for Canadians when it comes to international traveling. We speak with Global Calgary reporter Sarah Offen for details on the announcement and how travellers at the Calgary International Airport were reacting to the advisory. And finally, over the Christmas holidays, we might be getting together with seniors we haven't seen in a while. What should we be aware of and what should we watch for? We speak with the Director of Learning and Support Services from the Alzheimer's Society of Calgary for some tips on how to spot early signs of dementia and what resources are available here in the city. We've seen the pandemic highlight the problems with our health care system, from bed shortages to staffing issues. Our health care system appears to have been unprepared for the pandemic. Coming out of the pandemic, we have a chance to address these shortcomings. Joining us to help look at how we can fix our strained healthcare system for the better is Don Drummond, School of Public Policy at Queen's University. Good morning to you, Don. Good morning to you. You know, I don't think I'd be surprised to anybody that we were caught flat-footed ahead of something that we have not seen really, you know, in, in modern times. I guess we'd go back to the Spanish flu in 1918, but certainly in the past hundred years. It's highlighted this, uh, these problems, but did these problems already exist, Don? Well, I think big problems have existed in healthcare, putting aside COVID for the moment. Uh, we basically built a so-called healthcare system in the 1950s and 1960s that may have been suitable for the population of the time. And, and think back, in 1960, only 7.6% of the population was 65-plus. And to put this in the most indelicate terms that only a cold-hearted economist could do, once you hit 65, you didn't stay around very long after that. You, you didn't have a big older population. You didn't have a a lot of chronic uh, arthritis, uh, dementia, frailty, and the like. What you had was acute uh, care needs. Uh, you broke a leg. Uh, you had the flu. And we built a system that did a pretty good job of treating those needs. And then you fast forward, although the pace was very slow in the change, to 2020, 2021, you, you've got over a sixth of the population, 65 plus. The longevity is over 80. If we look to the future, we're about to double the population, 75 plus. And yet we've stayed in the same mode. If, if we go back to the speeches Tommy Douglas gave that, that in many ways led to what we've got right now, he actually put a greater emphasis on health promotion than he did on restoring health once it goes off the rails. But we've done almost none of that health promotion and put all our resources into restoring after it goes off the rails. And the perfect example of this is the reaction across the country to the COVID-related deaths in long-term care. All the emphasis will build better long-term care, will build more long-term care, but that's not the answer. The answer is people want to live independently as long as they can. That's what improves their well-being, and it's actually a lot cheaper to do. But again, we're being into that reactive kind of form. So if we had nothing, we're starting all over again and we're designing something, 
I think it would be completely different than what we have ever so slowly morphed in because it doesn't suit the times and it's certainly not serving in the times going to the future. You know, it'd be a little bit like you're saying we're not prepared for COVID. We are so not prepared for a doubling of the population 75 plus. So the healthcare system is outdated. It's not prepared for the, the age of the population we currently have. But would it would it be outrageously expensive, almost impossible to really revamp entirely the healthcare system? Or are there parts that we could start with right away? Is it the senior care homes that you're talking about? Well, ironically, I think it would cost less. I mean, just again, the economists like production function. Look what we get. We we spend almost 12% of our gross domestic product on, on health and next to the United States that's tied for the highest in, around the world. And yet our health outcomes are about middle of the pack of developed countries in, in terms of how healthy people are, the incidence of the disease and the like. So we're not doing very well for value for money and what we got. And, and of course, double anything I say there for Alberta, because Alberta is way more expensive than everybody else, should have better health outcomes comes because it has a younger population than the Canadian average, but doesn't. So things are less effective, less efficient. So if, if you look at an example that I just gave, the long-term care, at the moment that's about $140 a day, and, and once we improve the infrastructure and the safety and better, more pay, better paid workers, better qualified workers, that's going to be over $200 a day. You can provide a lot of home care services between 50 and 100, and you've got a win-win because that's what people want. If we look in Europe, they've got all kinds of uh, in-between in way stations between independent living at home and the ultimate long-term care, um, dementia-friendly village, age-stratified villages, um, community services within private apartment buildings. We have some examples of that in Canada, but very few. And you can actually, if not prevent dementia and frailty, you can certainly lean into them. Early detection of hearing loss is very powerful in, in staving off uh, dementia, but we don't do very much of that kind of prevention because we've never been focused on it. Scope of practice. A lot of the things we put on hospitals can be done outside of the hospitals. A lot of things that we have doctors do don't need to be done by doctors. They could be done by nurse practitioners. A lot of things nurse practitioners done by nurses, but we don't open up those boxes where as uh, I, I think it would be unrecognizable if we started from a blank sheet of paper and started uh, from scratch again. Well, and Don, perhaps we don't have to start at a blank sheet. And I'm wondering, you know, uh, uh, we we think of our health care as a, a beacon in the world. We have the best health care in the on the globe. We, we do what we can to take care of each other in Canada. But I'm wondering, besides starting with a blank sheet, can we look at other countries? Do you see other countries as a model we should, you know, basically adapt to and adopt? Well, as you express it, I think is the number one problem. Um, it's uh, very well known when you look at the competitiveness of businesses that the biggest determinant of a business being competitive or not are how demanding your clients are. If you have complacent clients, you're a lousy business. If you've got really demanding clients, you have a pretty good business. Canadians are the ultimate complacent because they believe, as you expressed it, that we have the best healthcare system. We don't. We are among the most expensive and we have mediocre outcomes. We are off the scale and wait times of any other developed countries and it's virtually impossible to see a specialist. You know, you're talking about the 17% of the population being senior and going to double 75. We only have 
304 gerontologists in all of Canada. We only have 470 rheumatologists. We are not well-placed. Even putting aside the surgery delays from COVID-related, you could take two, three, four years to, from having a problem, needing a, a joint operation to one getting. Um, and we talk about we're a public health care system. We're not. 70% of our healthcare spending is in the public domain, 30% is in the private domain, and that includes over half of pharmaceuticals are in private. Less than 10% of everything else is in the public domain, including mental health. The only mental health in the public domain is if you're actually in a hospital. Outside the hospital, that's all private. And so we've got, you know, depending on the survey, 8 to 15% of Canadians cannot afford their prescription drugs, either in total or not take them as prescribed. That's not the reality that most people think. You know, the CBC ran a poll a number of years ago, what Canadians thought defined in Canada, and they picked the Canadian public health care system. Well, it's not particularly public health care. It's not really a system. It's a collection of a bunch of silos, but we believe that. And it comes back, we have been trained since birth to singularly compare ourselves to the Americans, and we don't like the American healthcare system, so we're, we're better. But there's all kinds of better examples around the world. If you look at the care of the elderly, Denmark, they have a very good home care system. They've actually reduced the number of long-term cares by 30%. And if you look at the satisfaction of life surveys, uh, those northern European economies do, do very well in life satisfaction because they provide it in a different way at a lower cost than we do. And they don't face all these huge wait times that we do. I think we need to set up a meeting with you and the federal government. Thank you so much. Really important discussion, Don. Thank you so much for joining okay. us. You're Appreciate welcome. your time. Okay, bye. Don Drummond, School of Public Policy at Queen's University. Well, no secret, Calgary businesses have been hit hard during the course of the pandemic. Well, how can uh, Calgary lay the groundwork for a strong economic recovery? Joining us this morning with insight into our economic recovery is Deborah Yedlin, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Good morning to you, Deborah. Good morning. Well, let's uh, go wide scope first, uh, Deborah. I'm sure you're well aware of the fiscal update uh, put out federally yesterday. What was your biggest takeaway? Well, I think what was really good was the government is committing to supporting the economy from the perspective of uh, providing support for uh, the pandemic response that is ongoing. The fact that we're going to see significant response for the flood recovery. Um, you know, we have been struggling. We know that we need to deal with the, the variant and, and the pandemic uh, in order to really open our economy sustainably and at capacity. And so those measures targeted at uh, making sure that we address what's going on right now, broadly speaking, is really important, whether it's tests, vaccinations, PPE, et cetera, really, really important that we have uh, measures to address current and future pandemic issues. Deborah, let's get a little focused and, and look more specifically at Calgary then, talking about laying the groundwork for a strong economic recovery. That's a big task, isn't it? So how, how do you even start that process? Yeah, and I think that's if there was one thing that we did not see in that fiscal update, it was not sort of a path to how do we really uh, ignite economic growth and diversification in the country. So that's something that we've been working on. I think that's been going on in Alberta for the last, we've been very focused on this. In the last two years, I think we've really seen a lot of momentum. We've seen a lot of startups uh, make their place in Calgary. You know, there's a September survey that ranked Calgary among the top emerging tech startup ecosystems. And the University of Calgary, in fact, has ranked higher than the University of Toronto and Waterloo in terms of startups generated through the university. So, you know, there's a lot of activity happening, and that's a really important part of where we need to go 
from an economic diversification and an economic growth perspective. There's that. There's the tax base. You know, the tax the tax structure that we have in Alberta, which is also helpful to attract businesses. And the, the piece that's missing, of course, is that we need to figure out how to how to make sure that we have the talent in place to uh, fill the jobs that we know we are creating and will continue to create. Deborah, you know, as we've talked about on this program. COVID doesn't follow the calendar, but I know that I think we're looking at, what, a few weeks away till 2022, flipping the calendar to January. I'm wondering what you're hearing from your members as far as optimism or attitude moving into 2022. Do you think a lot of people have that, that pep in their step and some optimistic uh, thoughts of, of 2022? I think people were feeling very optimistic until we started to see the uh, the uh, prevalence of the Omicron variant. And so... People are concerned about what that impact is going to be, especially if you're in tourism or hospitality. What's that going to look like uh, going forward? But I think, generally speaking, people are being uh, have a more optimistic perspective in terms of what's what's on the horizon for Calgary. I think when we look at it from an energy transition transformation perspective, there's a lot of interesting uh, activity happening. That Pathways to Net Zero initiative is going to really create a lot of momentum in in research and innovation which is really critical so there's a lot i i would say that we are starting to see things in a more optimistic light i think the issue is this next hurdle with the variant how are we going to respond what's the long-lasting impact and how do we keep going forward because there is definitely a different conversation happening today than there was let's say six months ago and we'll be talking about it for a little while yet to come, obviously. Um, hopefully, we'll be wrapping up a discussions about any kind of uh, talk about COVID at any point. It would be nice if it went away, but it is here for the next little while for sure, Deborah. So do you, do you, as the chamber, do you kind of actively talk to your members on a regular basis? Do you, do you wait for them to come? Do you ha- tell us a little bit of how you know, the mechanics of it kind of work? So we do talk to our members on a, on a regular basis because we need to know what issues they are faced with and what we need to reflect to all levels of government in terms of support. And I think it's interesting because we know that uh, one of the things that we're starting to hear is there's some anxiety in terms of, re, you know, repaying the, uh, the, uh, the Canada, the, the CBA, which 90,000 businesses in Canada accessed in terms of support the Canadian Emergency Business Account. And so, you know, if you took out that $60,000, 20000 has to be paid in, repaid interest-free by the end of 2022. So will there be legislation that extends that deadline? Um, what Will there be any sort of forgiveness on the horizon? So a lot of our businesses took on extra debt. They took advantage of programs, and now they want to see if those deadlines are going to be extended, what that looks like. You know, the interest rate that's being levied on those, those loans is 5% when they start to be repaid. So... The you know the, the businesses are very concerned in terms of the path forward for them, and it's especially uncertain from a fiscal perspective. They've taken on a lot of debt, and they need to see a path forward in order to be able to emerge strong and keep growing their businesses. Ninety-five percent of Calgary businesses are small businesses. Deborah, I'm wondering, you know, if I just launched a business or I'm getting prepared to to, to move into the business realm as an entrepreneur. And I'm, I'm not familiar with the process. How do I get involved with the Calgary Chamber? How do I become a member, so to speak? Well, what you do is you go to calgarychamber.com and you can see how you be- can become a member. There's several tiers of memberships. And we support businesses by convening and connecting individuals with, with amongst the community and also providing access to uh, off supports that they need in order to move themselves forward as a business and to grow looking Thanks. for resources. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Deborah. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. 
Yesterday, the federal government made new travel recommendations ahead of the busiest travel season of the year. With local reaction to this new kink in people's plans, we're joined uh, this morning by Global News reporter Sarah Offen. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning, Andrew. I think I'm the only one here at Calgary International Airport without flip-flops and sun hat on this morning. that's painful. Well, you can buy that when you get to your destination. And and look at it this way, you've, uh, you know, kind of beating the rush. So give us a bit of a breakdown of the new recommendations coming down from the federal government, Sarah. Well, you know, it's interesting because it was back in October that the federal government sort of quietly lifted this non-essential travel advisory or advisory against non-essential travel. So it is now back in place. That's the change. There's no um, real change as far as restrictions or or measures uh, at this point. Uh, It's possible that some could be added. But uh, essentially what this means is that, um, you know, it changes things like insurance. And and, uh, the advisory right now is that if you are leaving the country, it's possible you could be facing challenges um, getting back into the country. Um, No announcements yet in terms of quarantine or or those kind of things. Um, But uh, certainly this is something that is creating some unease among travelers. Sarah, what's been the reaction to these recommendations from business, for example? I know WestJet is certainly not happy with it. Oh, yeah. They were slamming Ottawa yesterday uh, for issuing this advisory. They called the guidelines, um, you know, not based on science and data. It, they said it significantly undermines um, the aviation industry's proven safety record in response to COVID-19. Um, and WestJet was calling on the government to publicly share travel-related related COVID-19 data that have been used to reimpose this advisory. Of course, we know that this is partly uh, because of Omicron, so perhaps, uh, you know, the data really just isn't in yet, but uh, the, the federal government is asking people uh, to cancel their plans and saying right now is not the time for travel. The Prime Minister asking people instead of beaches to be thinking about COVID once again. So, yeah, you don't have your sunscreen with you. Your uh, suitcase, unfortunately, <laughs> is not with you, Sarah, but I'm wondering if you had the opportunity to speak with anybody who's heading out from uh, YYC today and what their reaction or what their thoughts is on these restrictions? Yeah, and I mean, you may well imagine that the people who have made it this far are pretty committed to their trips. We have been hearing, uh, however, some unease among travelers. We know the Air uh, Transport Association of Canada has um, said that thousands of customers have already cancelled their trips in light of these changing policies. But a lot of people here are basically just saying, you know, it's been almost two years since I've seen um, my family. Some of them are healthy, some of them aren't. Or other people just saying, you know, it's about time I need a little beach holiday for my mental health. So, you know, everyone has uh, their own justifications in terms of, of why or why not they're uh, they're moving, uh, you know, uh, across borders or mm-hmm. across the country. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's interesting to sort of hear their takes, and I think a lot of people at this point are tired. So echoing a little bit of, of what Premier Jason Kenney said yesterday, who was also leveling some criticism at this advisory. Thank you so much for the update, Sarah. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Sarah Offen, uh, reporter for Global Television. And yeah, I think there are a lot of people who are happy or unhappy, more so unhappy, I would think, right? Text lines open. Yeah, since that train left the the, the station, you booked your tickets, you're ready to go. What do you do now? Text lines open, 403-974-8255. Well, this Christmas, people will be interacting with the seniors in their lives for what might be the first time in a while. That plus the fact seniors have been isolated through the pandemic means we need to be more aware of their health and behavior. To explain, we are joined by Rachel Clare, Director of Learning and Support Services with the Alzheimer's Society of Calgary. Good morning to you, Rachel. 
Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Okay, so what should we be watching for when we gather over the holidays with the seniors in our lives? Well, so the stress and social isolation of the pandemic has impacted everyone. Uh, So what we're looking for are changes in memory and behavior that impact daily living. There's probably going to be some small changes, but what we're really looking for are those big changes. So we're looking at things like memory loss. Are they repeating questions and stories a lot? Are they forgetting events? Do they forget people that they've met a number of times? Are there challenges with familiar tasks? So mom's recipe that she's known by heart for 20 years, all of a sudden she's missing steps or dad's favorite card game he's forgotten the rules those types of things there's also going to be problems with communication strategies so they might have trouble finding words difficulty following conversations mixing up times and places they could be misplacing things getting more clumsy a big one is changes in mood so just getting more irritable and short-tempered and part of that could just be frustration with themselves because they are noticing that memory loss or changes They might not be quite as clean or tidy in appearance, and they also could be doing things like showing poor judgment, like not wearing a coat when they go outside. But the thing with this is that it can also be easy to hide these memory losses for a short period of time. So if you have an older adult in your life, invite invite yourself over. Uh, offer to, the, to pick them up for a dinner or invite yourself over to watch a movie or bake cookies. And that allows you to really get an idea of what their home is looking like, what they're looking like and acting like over a longer period of time and gives you better insight. Rachel, is the Alzheimer's Society kind of gearing up for a busy January because we have not spent as much time with our seniors as we might normally over the past year and a half or so? And, and as we get gathering at Christmas time and into the new year, we might start to see some of these changes then? Absolutely. We are gearing up for a busy January. We're expecting a lot of calls, not only about uh, being worried about people's maybe signs of dementia, but also folks that are worried about the caregivers in their lives. Because for some caregivers as well, they've been maybe spending all of their time with the person living with dementia for the past two years because of safety reasons, and they could also be depleted and burned out. For people not in the know, uh, you know, Rachel, I mean, maybe, maybe you're unaware, but you are seeing some different behaviors Where's where's the best place to reach out for more information? Is this something that we could uh, call the Alzheimer's Society for or or send you a note? Absolutely. Check out alzheimercalgary.ca or you can call the office at 306-290-0110 or sorry, 0110. We have a team of dementia support navigators that help people um, basically talk through emotions and concerns. They also offer help in tangible ways. So what are next steps? Who do you talk to next? Uh, They help with communication strategies. They talk through concerns. And really, a lot of what they do is provide non-judgmental emotional support. The way that I see it is they help people pause, take a deep breath, calm themselves down, and then navigate next steps. Really important, and thank you for all that you do for our seniors, and you're such a wonderful resource that people have to turn to. AlzheimerCalgary.ca is the website. So thank you so much for your time, Rachel. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great day. You too, Rachel Clare, Director of Learning and Support Services with Alzheimer's Society of Calgary. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.